Well, good morning. I want to welcome each and every one of you this morning to Paradise Valley Christian Church. We're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, if you're brand, brand new, thanks for taking the time to come together as the body of Christ. We have little connect cards that are in the back of the pews. There's some out at the hub in the foyer there. Uh, if you want to let us know who you are, uh, if you don't, that's okay too. But if you do, uh, please put your name and phone number on there and I will do my best to kind of follow up and see what's going on. This past week, uh, God continues to do neat things through this body of believers. Uh, we were celebrating... Well, we were praying first uh, last week for uh, Nikki and Caleb Holsher, and they were in the process of having a new baby, and uh, that baby was born uh, a week ago today uh, in the evening, and so uh, James Timothy is almost a week old, and so we're so excited for um, Caleb and Nikki Holsher. Uh, he was, again, born on the 31st, and yeah, let's give God a round of applause for that. Timothy James uh, was 7 pounds, 14 or so ounces, 20 inches long, and again, uh, they're, they're down, uh, Nikki and Caleb are down in Douglas, and uh, they're part of what's going on with the Outpost Christian Church down there, and so we want to welcome uh, those online this morning, those of you here in person, we're so glad that you're all here. And so that was a, a celebration of life. That was exciting as far as that uh, new birth last week. And then on Saturday was our Harvest of Talents, and uh, that is an event that we put on for three different reasons. One would be that it gives us an opportunity to come together as the body of Christ, to fellowship with one another, encourage one another, to, to put something on that would bring honor and glory to God. And the uh, second thing is to kind of highlight the different missions that we have. And so if you don't know much about our missions that go beyond these walls and beyond our community of Casper and around the world, I encourage you to get to know uh, our different missions. And uh, you can actually be part of the mission team if you'd like to. There's some information over on the board over here. But it, uh, also the third thing was to raise some extra funds for our missions, kind of give them a boost of encouragement during this time of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and uh, so above and beyond what we normally give them, uh, that took place yesterday. And so a little over $4,000 was raised uh, for missions yesterday. Let's give God a round of applause for that. And I'm so grateful for those who are willing to come and organize that and be a part of that. Uh, and it's just, it was a joy to be together as the body yesterday. A lot of laughs, a lot of good times, great food. And again, just focusing on what God is doing uh, through this body around the world. And so thanks for all those who are a part of that yesterday. As you, uh, if you're brand new again this morning, we're going through a sermon series called uh, Follow the Servant. And again, it's this idea of going through the gospel according to Mark. And what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? And a book was written, uh, Are You a Fan or Are You a Follower? And again, this concept of, am I just here on a Sunday morning to be a fan of Jesus and what he can do for me? Or am I willing to actually be a follower, a disciple that actually lives out what God's word speaks about? And it's easy to just want to come and just listen and take it in, but it's a whole other thing to actually begin to live it out. And my prayer is that we're willing to live out what it means to be a follower of the servant who is Jesus. And so as we get into today's message, I want to do a little, uh, I don't know if any of you are, are uh, Jeopardy buffs out there or not. You spend a lot of time doing Jeopardy stuff. But uh, we're going to do a little Final Jeopardy. The category for Final Jeopardy this morning is the Bible. And the answer is, other than Jesus' resurrection, this is the only miracle mentioned 
in all four Gospels. You have 30 seconds. Good luck. Anybody have a guess? Yeah, huh? No, no. Feeding of the 5,000 is correct. Good job. You get those final Jeopardy points. And uh, we're glad uh, to spend time in Chapter 6 this morning. Uh, If nobody got it, I was going to give that hint. We are in Chapter 6, verse 30 this morning. And again, this idea of um, this... Miracle. Jesus had lots of miracles, obviously, uh, in his ministry. And, and so why is this miracle showing up in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And I believe it's because Jesus wants us to get something from it, right? He, there's some lessons taking place in this miracle that he really wants us to grab a hold of when it comes to this historical account. And so in the beginning of chapter 6, if you haven't been here, just a little quick review. Jesus goes back to his hometown As he goes to his hometown, he's amongst the people he grew up with, and they reject him. And the ministry that he is preaching and the the message that he's preaching, and so they reject him. In fact, he says that he is amazed at their lack of faith. And I pray that that is not us this morning, that Jesus doesn't look at us and, and he's amazed at our lack of faith. And so they leave that hometown. They go to other towns. And in fact, Jesus then sends the 12 out. And as he sends the 12 out, they're going out to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to cause people to be to want to be repentant, okay? That they, they challenge them to repent of the lives that they're living. And again, I don't know the exact uh, time frame of everything that's taking place. As you read through chapter 6, we have the beheading of John, okay? First service, I said Jesus. That is not correct, all right? It's John uh, and King Herod and, and what's taking place there. I appreciate Connor Lewis last week sharing on you Sunday uh, about this passage from verse 14 down through verse 29 of chapter 6. And again, I don't know exactly what's taking place for sure, but I believe in the context as you read it, you have the sending out of the 12, Jesus kind of by himself, and then maybe he hears the news of his cousin, John. And again, the, the, the news that he hears is terrible. It's the beheading of his cousin. It's an underhanded murder. Herod had stolen his brother's wife, King Herod, and, and married that, that person, which is Herodias, okay? And, and John calls Herod out on this, says, hey, that's not right. You can't do that. And so, of course, Herodias, she doesn't like that. She doesn't want to be told what kind of life to live and how to live it. And so she uses her daughter to manipulate the king into killing John. And I'm sure John's death was very hard on Jesus. Someone that Jesus was very close to. Not only was he a cousin, but he was a close friend of Jesus. They knew each other essentially in utero, right? As babies in their mother's womb. In fact, we have scripture that says as as Elizabeth and Mary kind of see each other and they have John and and Jesus in their wombs, then John does kind of this leap inside her, this prophetic leap when it comes to seeing Jesus there in the womb. And it was John that baptized Jesus. It was John who proclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus finds out about John's death. And can you imagine the pain that Jesus begins to go through? The sadness of the loss of his cousin. 
And as Jesus is going through this, this mourning time, this pain, this, this, this time where, you know, we, th- we don't oftentimes think about Jesus in that way. But as a human, he, he was going through this loss all the while trying to hold it together. Where, where he has this ministry that's beginning to just boom. There's crowds coming. He sends these 12 out, and he doesn't know exactly how that all is going to go, but he's trusting that they're going to do a good job. And he puts the, his faith in them as they go out and share the message, the good news. And then, again, he's going through this mourning time of the loss of his cousin. And as I think about Jesus and, and everything he's going through, Jesus is someone that if anybody needed a break, it was him, right? It was him in these times that he's going through. And yet what we see from Jesus' life is not him taking a break, but the fact that he's willing to have continual compassion. And that's the title of today's message is this idea of continual compassion and so we're going to read here in just a moment from chapter 6 of Mark, verse 30 down through 30, excuse me, verse 44. Before we do that, will you pray with me? God, we desire for you to speak boldly into our hearts and our minds. I thank you for each one here, maybe some for the very first time visiting. I just thank you for the, those that are coming together in your name to bring honor and glory to you. And so may you teach us, may we, our hearts be open. And may your Holy Spirit give us direction. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you're willing and able this morning, will you stand with me again this morning? Uh, verse 30 of chapter 6 of Mark. I'll be reading from the New International Version, 1985 edition. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, what would, that would take eight months of a man's wages, Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 
thousand. You may be seated. Five thousand. And for many of us this morning, we've heard this, it's familiar to us. We read the story and we say, yep, that's Jesus. That's the kind of stuff he does. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you, but he just feeds 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. And if you want to have a good supper on Thanksgiving, you don't have much in your cupboards, invite Jesus over, right? He'll take the little bit of scraps you have in your cupboards and he'll be able to feed your whole family and you'll be able to have leftovers for days upon days. And, And we read that and we're like, it's no big deal. But man, This is amazing to think about everything that's taking place. We read this account and we just think, ah, heard it, you know. Many of you have been in the church all your lives and and you've heard this passage. It's in all four Gospels. You've heard the story and we read it and we're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. But we don't really begin to completely understand everything that Jesus is doing here in this story. And so I want us to see maybe this with fresh eyes this morning to really allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts. And if you were to to grab a couple things out of these verses, I would like for us to begin by looking at this idea of a ruined attempt for rest. There's this ruined attempt for rest taking place in verses 30 down through 33. And as we look at this, you have these disciples that are arriving back on the scene, and, and I'm sure many of them, it's, they're, they're ready to tell everything that's been going on, right? They've, they've gone out, they've done some amazing things, and they come back, and it's kind of like my kids, uh, all eight of them, not so much Berkeley yet, but seven of them, they all want to tell me stories all at the same time, especially if my older kids, they go, and, and they maybe went to a youth rally or something, they come back, and they have all these stories they want to tell me and tell me, and Autumn and I were just like trying to take it all in, and I can imagine Jesus trying to take it in, what the disciples are saying, and of course, some of them, they start to argue maybe, like, that's not how the story went, at least that's how my kids tell stories anyway and that's not how it went and yes it is well so and so said this and and then all these things are taking place and then one of my little kids come like hey dad I you know I spilt something I'm like okay just a minute I got I'll come back to your story just stay right there and we'll come back and it's almost like what's taking place here in these verses Jesus is listening that he's hearing what the disciples are saying and yet there's other things that are happening people are still coming There's all this commotion going on. People are still wanting to be healed, and so they're interrupted. Their stories are kind of cut short. And as they're they're going through dealing with all these different people showing up, it even says in these verses that so much is going on that they can't even, they don't even have time to eat. And I wonder how many of you maybe experience this on a day-in and day-out basis. Your kids are talking to you a mile a minute with all sorts of different direction. You're trying to track what they're saying. You're not, you can't even understand the lingo that they're using. Yeah, bet, and, you know, just random teenage terminology that I have no clue that I have to ask Shiloh Esterline what, the, what it all means. And, you know, and, and so all these things are taking place, and, and you have all, all this you know, the phone's ringing off the hook, and, and the computer, the, it's moaning, from groaning from the fact that you haven't answered all the thousands of emails that are listed there, and, and you're thinking, oh, oh, man, I have so much to do at work, the, the list is a mile long, and, oh, man, and you start to look around your house, and you're like, oh, I started that project, and I didn't get that done, and I still need to do this, and on top of all of that, in, in the midst of everything that's going on in your life, 
you forgot to eat and you're kind of getting hangry, right? You're, you're hungry and you're starting to get angry about the fact that you haven't eaten lately. And Jesus is, says to his disciples, hey, let's just take a break. Let's just step back. Why don't you come with me by yourselves? Let's get to a quiet place and let's just rest. Let's get away and we can talk. We can talk about everything that's been going on with you. We can talk about John and his passing. We can talk about, you know, what the future looks like and, and how, how things are going to take place. And, and, and let's just take a step back and rest. Let's, let's eat something. Let's get away. And so they get into a boat and they start sailing to a quiet place on the other side of the lake and you moms know exactly what Jesus and his disciples are dealing with next. It says that there's this crowd that's already there when they show up. And you moms, you, you understand this because what is the one place in, in your house that you try to go to to try to get away from everything that's going on in your house and all your kids and everything? What, what's, what's the place, what's the room in your house? The bathroom, that's right, that's right. I'm not a woman, but I know you ladies. You, you have, you're like, okay, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. There's no way they're going to find me in there, right? All right? But you're in there for about 30 seconds, and you're quiet, and you're, just, whew, you're like loving it, and all of a sudden, knock, 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 right? And all of a sudden, this little baby knock on the door, like, mom, mom. You're like, don't say anything. Don't move a muscle. Hopefully they don't know that you're in here, but sure enough, pretty soon, mom, and, and under the door come the little fingers, right? <laughs> under the door, the little fingers, and, and, and they start to, the, the moms get loud, mom, you know, I know, you know, and, this, and they're like, oh, man, can I just get a little peace and quiet? And Jesus and his disciples are trying to get a little peace and quiet, so they go across the lake, and by the time they get there, you got some track star or someone's like, hey, there's Jesus. He's in a boat. I wonder, I bet I know where he's going. Let's go to a bunch of people. And all of a sudden, there's this huge crowd that's already there on the other side. That They beat him there. And it says when they arrive on shore, there's this crowd of people. And later on, towards the end, it says how many? It's 5,000 men. Okay? And in Matthew's account, there's this, this uh Matthew talks about the fact that there's probably women and children there as well, and so scholars would, would estimate there's probably anywhere between ten to 15,000 people crowded there to try to see Jesus and his disciples. And for me, I, I get kind of nervous at Winter Whitewash having close to almost 500 people showing up. Like, that's a lot of people to try to feed and try to take care of and house and make sure they get everywhere they need to go, and here's... Anywhere from ten to 15,000 people showing up to see Jesus. And if it was me, and I'm tired, and I'm mourning the loss of my cousin, and I'm trying to just spend some quiet time with my disciples, my friends, I just want to get away, guess what I'd do? I'd get back in the boat, right? Like, let's get out of here. Let's go somewhere else that nobody's going to know where we're at. You see, this, I want us, what I want us to see here in this ruined attempt for rest is that there was an attempt for rest. Jesus knew that they needed to get away. In fact, he says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. What a beautiful request from the lips of Jesus. And he's calling every single one of us to the same thing today. 
Like, why don't you just come away? Why, why, don't, you, why don't you just take a step back? And in fact, the, the words here are not go away, which oftentimes I have to say to my kids because I'm not always as compassionate as Jesus is. But he says, why don't you come away with me? Why don't you come with me and we'll rest together. We'll spend some time together by ourselves you and me, and just in a quiet place, away from everything else that's going on, and let's just rest a while. No shopping lists, no to-do lists, no kids' homeworks to do, homework to do, no, no TV, no cell phones, just spending time in rest with our Father in heaven. As a disciple of Jesus, is it time for us to turn off the cell phone to maybe line up a babysitter just to get in the car and go for a drive and let your brain relax. In fact, studies today say we, we can't even relax by watching TV anymore because what do we do when we watch TV? We also are on our phones. We, we can't sit there and actually just enjoy a television show and, and kind of just take a step back. We have to be on our phones while we're watching TV and I'm just as guilty of that as, as maybe some of you are this morning. And you might say, man, ah, there's no way I could just get away. I have too much to do. There, there's too, I don't have enough time. And I wonder for us, do we not have enough time or are we not making the time? Because how many football games do I watch sometimes on a Saturday or Sunday? Or how many uh, TV programs or series of TVs have I watched all the way through once, maybe twice? Or... or or what about uh, the time that I, I spend just, you know, doing my hobbies? Am, am I take? Am I not? Do I not have enough time, or am I not willing to take the time? And I think as we look at this passage of scripture, Jesus is saying, "Hey, let's let's make in, let's make an intentional point to try to get away." And, and even in the midst of that intentional effort. They still got interrupted, didn't they? And so I wonder for us this morning, if we're not specifically intentional to spend that time with Jesus in quiet, alone time, how often in our daily routine are things going to get interrupted? How often is are something going to come in from the outside that says, hey, hey, why don't you look over here? Why don't you spend time doing this? Why don't you, you know, spend your time in these areas instead of your quiet time with Jesus, and I would encourage us that we have to be intentional about making this happen because if we don't, if we're not intentional, it's always going to get ruined. And, and uh, these guys, they're intentional about it, and it still got ruined. And in the midst of this ruined attempt for rest, it's amazing to me what Jesus' response is. In verses 34 down through 38, Jesus sees the crowd and has compassion on them. Which again just blows my mind to think about everything that Jesus is going through in this time in his life. His disciples just getting back. They're exhausted. He's grieving. His ministry is exploding. All this is taking place. He's trying to figure out, well, who is this person again? Because I'm trying to minister to them. And, and who are they? And all these things taking place. And I can just imagine Jesus wanting to be like, hey, you know, just could you take a step back from everything and me personally, I, I don't think my predominant emotion in this moment 
would be compassion. In fact, in my best moments, I'm not the best at being compassionate. If it was me, I'd be thinking, hey, I'm on break. Don't you see this? You know, I clocked out for a moment. But not Jesus. Jesus never clocks out. He never says, just leave me alone. And as I, as I saw this in these verses, I thought about how God is, is saying that same thing to us. Like, he's not clocking out on us. He's not ever saying, hey, you're being a bother. Because I think sometimes as humans, we, we don't spend time in prayer enough because, oh, man, the things that I have to say to Jesus, they're not as important maybe as somebody else's. Or, God, you have so much more on your plate to worry about than my little things. And we don't spend time in prayer that we need to because we're thinking that we're going to be a bother to God. And this is a great example to us that nothing that we ever do is going to be a bother to our Heavenly Father. He will always have compassion on you. And all you can say here as you look at Jesus' response is, wow, this is remarkable. The way that he's willing to respond to this crowd. And as you look at this, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he, and then it shows us what he did. But I wonder, what would we do in this context? Well, what if we put our name in there where, where it says, when Charles went ashore... He saw a large crowd, and he just got so upset that he said, get out of here, right? That, that's kind of what comes to mind. If Charles went ashore and he saw this large crowd, he's like, oh, man, could you guys just give me a few minutes? Or if Charles went ashore, he saw this large crowd, and he just said, could you guys just leave? I, I'm, just, I'm trying to get a little bit of rest here. Or, or I saw, well, maybe... If Charles went ashore and saw the large crowd, he just said, hey, Autumn, could you handle this for me, you know? Could you, and, and here's Autumn, he's like, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you are. We're supposed to be on a date night right here, and someone at the restaurant asked us, could you pray for it? No, so, you know, which, please do that if you're ever at a restaurant, you need prayer, because I'm working on this in my life, all right? But I'm thinking, it, this isn't the natural thing that comes to me when it, when it comes to having compassion, how would you have responded? And, and I think about Jesus and in his willingness to come ashore, and he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them. And that takes compassion to a, to a whole different level, doesn't it? And everything that Jesus was going through, tired disciples, grieving and cousin, uh, you know, haven't been able to eat. And now they're being bombarded by this crowd. And this crowd, they weren't there to try to, you know, oh, Jesus, how is it going? You know, I heard that you lost your cousin. No, they weren't there to comfort Jesus. This, this crowd, they're not there to cook for the retreat, Right? You know, here's Jesus and the disciples. They're supposed to be on this little retreat. They're not there to cook for him. Matthew's gospel adds that Jesus healed those who were sick. And, of course, thus is the reason they're there. This group of people, they wanted their needs met. They weren't there to care about Jesus' needs. And instead of blowing his top, Jesus felt compassion for them. Compassion is defined as pity inclining one to help or be merciful. And the Greek word here is from the, the base word of splachna. 
And it's this idea of where you have the emotions of this time. The, the Greek culture was this, this splachna word which, where it came from your bowels, your innards. Meaning your emotions came from deep within who you are. And so I wonder when was the last time that you were moved deeply on the inside for someone? When was the last time you saw someone in their need, not maybe a physical need, but maybe even their spiritual need, and you were just moved on the inside so deeply that you just had to do something for them? And Jesus says that people are like sheep without a shepherd. And guess what? Sheep are kind of dirty, right? They're, they're kind of messy. They don't always smell the best. And, and sheep are known for making just dumb decisions. They, they're, not, they're not known for being the smartest animals, right? And Jesus is saying, hey, these are sheep without a shepherd. And if I'm being honest this morning, sometimes I wonder why God has called me to, to pastor. Because I'm not always the best at wanting to get dirty. Right, and usually mostly from a physical standpoint, I don't like getting my hands dirty. As soon as my hands are dirty, I like to wash them off. I don't like to get messy. I don't like to be in the, the midst of filth and messiness. And when it comes to interacting with people, I don't always do the best. I kind of struggle at times with people that just continually, time after time after time, make poor choices. I'm like, why, why don't you understand? Like, if we make better choices, you have a better outcome. And so those are areas that I struggle with. And I wonder, God, how can you use me? And he's saying, hey, here's some sheep that are without a shepherd. Sheep that are not the cleanest and don't always make the best decisions. And I wonder for all of us, how many times do we just kind of write people off and say, I don't want to get into the mess of that. I don't want to be in the midst of that messiness of this person's life. And yet, that is what God is calling each and every one of us to. To be in the, involved in the messiness of people's lives. Even people that continually make poor decisions. Jesus is saying, have compassion on them. Compassion, love them, care for them, have pity on them to the point where it causes you to do something in their lives. Revela excuse me, not revelation. I want to read from verse 35 through verse 36 again where it says, By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside in the villages and buy themselves something to eat. And so Jesus sees the crowd and he has compassion. And is, you think the disciples would jump on board with, you know, it's like, hey, Jesus is having compassion. I'm going to have compassion. And instead, what do the disciples do? Like, hey, Jesus, it's getting late. We're not even getting to our retreat that we're supposed to be at. We're hungry. Let's send these people away. Let's get them out of here. And that's what we do, right? We have this in our minds like, Jesus, don't you understand? This is what needs to happen in order for everything to work out perfectly. We're on a schedule here. Let's get to it. And, and we forget about the fact that maybe what Jesus is asking us to do is to invest in the people that we look at as maybe something someone that is causing a, a, a something that creates 
a, a lack of, of scheduling in our lives, where we have this idea of what is what we want to happen, and yet Jesus is saying, well, what about these people? Well, what about these people that I am trying to reach out to? Are we willing to care enough about people where we're willing to reach out to them? And I, I really think that we have to stop pushing people away from God and, and begin to really love on people the way that Jesus would love on them. And I think we are too distracted by the busyness of the church that we miss out on the business of the church. And the business of this church is to continue to seek and save those who are lost. English, I'm terrible at English, and so busyness and business, that's a, those are tough words for me because they're, they're basically the same word except for two different letters. Busyness is with a Y, and business is with an I. And I think, again, we get too distracted by the busyness of doing church and we miss out on doing the business of the church, which is to reach those who are lost. And, and so Jesus kind of looks at them like, hmm, okay, well, yeah, there's a lot of people to feed here. And then verse 37, but he answered, you give them something to eat. <laughs> what? You got to be kidding me, Jesus. He go, they go on to say, you know, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And again, for some of us this morning, we think, well, we don't really have much for compassion when it comes to dealing with people in this world. It's just not something that comes natural. It's just not something that I really think is, is one of my spiritual gifts. And if you notice here in these verses, Jesus didn't require anything from the disciples that they didn't already have. What, what do you have? It's kind of like the, the question of Elisha to the widow. Like, what do you have in your house? Well, I don't have anything. Well, yeah, she did. She had some oil. And again, Jesus says to the disciples, what do you have? Well, not enough to feed 5,000 to 10 to 15,000 people. We know that. Well, what do you have? Well, five loaves and two fish. Well, let's start with that, right? Let's take what you have and give it to God, and then let's see what happens. And an amazing thing happens. And what compassion do you have, even just a small amount? Because when you are willing to take all that you have and give it over to God completely and totally, then that's when things are really going to happen. That's when things like praying for God to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, that's when things really begin to take place. Because when we are willing to take the little that we have, God can multiply. And that's the third thing that I want us to see in these last verses, 39 down through 44, that God can multiply your compassion. When we are more concerned about the needs of others instead of our own wants, that's when God can really begin to work mightily in and through us. And so I just want to read some verses as we kind of close out this idea. Philippians 2, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete 
by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see, we have a responsibility to continually to look outside of us individually, looking outside of us as a congregation. How do we reach those who need the compassion of Jesus in their lives? Are we willing to show that? Because I really think that when we are willing to even show a little bit of compassion, God multiplies it. It opens the floodgates of God's compassion to be poured out through you into people's lives. Think about it. When we show compassion, we are imitating, even just in a small way, of how much compassion God has for us. And Philippians 2, 6-11 goes on to say, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ, Jesus, who being in very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? And so when you show compassion, you open up an opportunity for God to multiply that compassion through you as you share God's love with people. And not only just through your actions, but through your words as you share the truth of, well, why are you doing this for me? Well, because God loves me. Well, what do you mean God loves you? Well, he was willing to send his son Jesus to die on the, my behalf to take away my sins. And he's willing to do that for you in your life. And so the little bit of compassion that you show opens up the floodgates of God's compassion to be multiplied through you. And so I wonder, are you willing to have continual compassion just as Jesus did? As the praise team comes, Clifton Fatiman in the little brown book tells a story about Vladimir Nabokov, the Russian-born novelist who achieved popular success by his novels Lolita, 1955, Pale Fire, 1962, and Ada in 1969. And one summer in the 1940s, Nabokov and his family stayed with James Laughlin at Elta, Utah, where Nabokov took the opportunity to enlarge his collection of butterflies and moths. And Fadiman relates, Nabokov's fiction has never been praised for its compassion. He was single-minded, if nothing else. And so one evening at dusk, he returned from his day's excursion, saying that during the day as he was pursuing these butterflies near Bear Gulch, he had heard someone groaning most distressingly down by the stream. Well, did you stop? Laughlin asked him. No, I had to get the butterfly. And the next day, the corpse of an aged prospector was discovered in what has been renamed in Nabokov's honor, Dead Man's Gulch. 
And as Christians, I wonder how often are people around us spiritually dying because we're worried about chasing butterflies. Do we care where people are going to end up for eternity? Or do we care about the frivolous, flittering butterflies of this life? My prayer is that we as a, a church, as disciples of Jesus, care so much about reaching the lost for Jesus that we're willing in the midst of a time of rest, in the midst of whatever's going on in our lives, that we're taking the time to be compassionate towards people. And so maybe you're hearing about this compassion of Jesus for the very first time this morning, and you just want to know more, I'd love to talk with you, to pray with you. If that's something that you need this morning, please come as we sing. If you're someone that knows they need to give their life over to Jesus, you want to show that same compassion, but you need the Holy Spirit power in your life to do that, and you know that the Bible teaches that at baptism you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and so that's something that you know you need to do. I encourage you to come forward. And Maybe you're just here this morning saying, I want to I be with a body that is willing to show compassion to the world around us. I want to I make PV my church home so I can get better involved, so I can show compassion. We'd invite you to come as well. Will you stand with us this morning? If you have a decision to make, will you come as we sing?